my name is Julie Fox. I'm assistant curator at Hayward Gallery Touring. I'm one of the curators of this exhibition, which is called Not Without My Ghosts. And that is uh, looking at the last 200 years, thereabouts, of mediumistic art and practice. So we very much start in a in the 1820s with William Blake, he's very much the epicenter. And then it moves through the Victorian era, through spiritualism, and then on through kind of like traverses, uh, through spiritualism, through Victorians, pit stops into surrealism and automated drawing, and then like segues its way through the esoteric occultism and then ends up into contemporary practice. So the majority of this exhibition, I would say, is uh, contemporary artists and artistic practice who are still responding to things that were relevant 200 years ago. So it's looking at this continuation of the artists, not just as um, the progenitor of their own ideas, but actually as a vessel for the spirits and the wider forces of other people. So that is where we're really beginning. And it was something that was really captivating socially as well as uh, academically, as we start with Mr. William Blake, this is part of his visionary head series. So this is one of the original Blakes. Uh, the owner of this Blake, it was actually swapped with her granddad uh, back in the day, which I really love. Not for her granddad, but he was a doctor and he somebody broke their leg and they gave him a William Blake to set the leg back in the days before the NHS. Um, but that's by the by. But the William Blake in particular, like he was very much in this idea of like freeing himself up to the other forces because he was the idea of songs of innocence and experience. It was all coming together. And you can see that in a lot of his paintings and how he related to biblical and religious references. A lot of it was about unleashing his subconscious and his unconscious. And he was doing that by uh, bringing in other forces. So we have outside, when that plinth goes in, we have a replica of a book that was made with one of his uh, other artistic colleagues and that was very much where they used to be sitting in a room and like drawing in a trance-like state. So he was very much the epicenter of it, kind of like most of the things with William Blake, pretty out on a limb. So it wasn't that it was a major influence at the time. What really happened was when the birth of spiritualism came around in the 1850s, which was often, well it's in America, it came around for many different reasons. I'm not an expert on this period but it was these incredible people called the Fox Sisters, no relation, but they were in America and they, they were starting to channel the spirit of this other people. Um, somebody that came through and all of a sudden, these three sisters, they're like in the 18, 19, 20 year olds, and they became the epicenter of obviously the cultural and spiritual needs. And that really started, like the basis of spiritualism really caught off is how we were within the industrial revolution. And it was the changeover from an agrarian lifestyle for being on the land, for being understanding the seasons and moving through to mechanization. And we were moving into a system where people were moving into towns and cities. So often that this was happening in parallel to this idea that, you know, this was happening in the social life, but actually what was happening spiritually is people were drawn towards understanding what was happening in their world and giving new meaning. And also people had a lot more leisure time because they weren't like breaking their backs the entire time. They still were. But this is a very interesting starting point, which is actually the spiritualist church 
the spiritualist movement in general. So started in America in the 80s, 50s, but was really filtering through by the 1870s and 1880s. And very much this idea that people were able to convene with spirits, but also to like give some reckoning, because at the same time as that was happening, you know, there was the rise of science, the rise of industry, and that was empiricism. And then there was this kind of the more philosophical, more nuanced affair. And this is when this became this like almost duality in society of spiritualism and all that sorts. So these are the kind of main figures that we have at the beginning of the exhibition. We're missing Anna Mary Howitt, unfortunately. But this is Georgiana Halton, and she was one of the first progenitors of this kind of more automated spiritualistic drawing, where she developed this practice where she would like draw, uh, go into these trance-like states and then create these very beautiful drawings. And she actually taught um, Barbara Honeywood, who was next to her, and there were these very often aligned figures within Victorian Britain. They were very similar at the time of um, the pre-Raphaelites, but at the same time they were operating in this world where women weren't really recognised that much as artists, they weren't given the same kudos or credence, and they were able to be quite dismissed, but they like, developed quite a cult following and quite a large following within themselves. So this is like these early days, and it's very atypical that we're thinking about this kind of drawing, which is they were drawing on, um, uh, this is all in a state of trance as well. These very individual motifs of flowers and colours and fruits and quite very organic forms that were coming through. And, you know, it's a really interesting conversion at this time between like the, what the men were doing, what the women were doing. So if you think about all of that, like the stock and trade of the pre-Raphaelites, which was all those beautiful women. And this was what these actual female artists were producing. So it's amazing Barbara Honeywood and Georgiana Horton. So this is our kind of like the pink room, as we will now call it. Very much looking at this earlier stage, uh, very contemporary artists that we are dealing with. And it was looking at how uh, this mediumistic idea of taking on the energies of outside and the outside world was like travailing different people in different countries at the same time. So this was in the UK. Madame Fondrelon was, who is this person here? Now, what she was, she was a medium in France, and she was very much championed by the Surrealists, so by André Breton and Yves Tanguy, and they were very interested in this idea of like automated drawing and taking on the spirits. And then they taught themselves the automated drawing techniques and going into trances, but they kind of made it a bit more machismo because they're the Surrealists, and they really went into this idea of the power that was driven down. So even though they were very interested in people like Madame Fondrelon, they didn't really respect them as artists. This wasn't about her being an artist. She was just this vessel. And I think this is this very interesting dichotomy and actually it was something that was really akin to this movement, which it grew up with the suffrage movement because it gave female voices agency and it allowed them to be, have these roles in these different areas of society. So it's a very interesting dynamic at this early stage. So, we're going by the Surrealist. This is like Madame Fondrelon. We used to have some beautiful Surrealist drawings. Sadly, they had to be returned. Uh, Austin Osmond Spare. This is where we kind of go into the bit of the occult, really. So if these start like shaking around ever, then I would get worried <laughs> if I were you. But Osmond Spare was an enfant terrible of the art world in the turn of the century. So 1905, he was at the Slade. He was absolutely beautiful. He was the most talented man there. He walked out of the Slade because he was so upset with the teaching. And he was very much like, you know, man about town. Everybody loved him. And he fell in with Alistair Crowley. And he very much was, became involved with this occultist idea and sex magic. 
And that's when he was pulling down, so he would go into these trance-like states because he thought it was communing with this wider Phacelium god. I can't remember much about Alistair Crowley. But Crowley kind of, pro he kind of props up a few times, actually, in this exhibition. He's, I'm sure he's due at a huge revival, the Crowleyisms. But very much so, Osmond Spare, what was also interesting about Osmond Spare, you know who loves Osmond Spare is rockers. So he also had this revival in the 1970s, like people like Robert Plant collected him. Like, so there's all these metalheads that re got really into Osmond Spare. So uh, also somebody that is probably going to have a huge revival very soon because he died penniless in the 1950s because he was just so maligned and also just said, well, everybody just thought he was off his nut, which is fair enough. Um, sorry, Osmond. This is where this idea of this automation and this idea of sublimating and taking something from another place also fitted very neatly into this idea of outsider art or art brute. Because often with, art, with an outsider art, it was akin to this idea that there was uh, external forces or mental illness or something that was like the controlling factor. They were bringing in other ideas from other places. So we've got people like Franz Marpecker. There you go. Well, he's from Czechoslovakia and he's like developing these very different, like, oh, wow, I love this work because it's really super psychedelic. So this was happening in Czechoslovakia. Then very much within this outsider art movement where it was somebody that was channeling down these spirits. And this was the work that was coming out. Uh, Augustin Lesage is one of my favorite works in the exhibition. He was actually a French coal miner and he was down the coal mine one day and he had this huge vision, and the huge vision was a giant man came to him and says, you're never going to be a coal miner again, you've got to leave this place and go and be an artist. And from that day, he downed tools and was an artist for the rest of his life. And now he is somebody that is part of this resurgence of interest in this particular area of artistic practice, because now, you know, he's very long gone, but he created these staggeringly amazing works. They're these, like, dual, like, cityscapes and all of these different things but again he said it was because through the agency and through the conversation of the spirit guide that he had and a lot of these were about this like external force that was feeding them the information so it was about them being this vessel this otherness towards the work that they were producing and that again was looking at how that was happening within society when people were being marginalized or told you know you're this still you're that so again it's this idea of this modernity versus what was happening um, Madge Gill, a woman from Walthamstow in East London. Again, she was somebody that this was often what was happening in this case was people were suffering through many different things. So Madge Gill, she, ha um, she was a housewife from East London. And actually, there were a few, usually it's a cause of some kind of tragedy. But with Madge Gill, she uh, lost a baby in stillborn and also had another child die in Spanish flu. So you were also about this turn of the century, there was a lot of tumult, there was a lot of change, and there was also just a lot of threat to life from external forces that nobody really understood. There was mechanized warfare, which was World War I, and then there was also Spanish flu, which was basically like COVID-19, as in just wiped out everybody. And there was, it was an uncontrollable force. So everybody was also looking for something in a spiritualist sense to actually make sense of what was going on in the world. So Madge Guild, it's these bonkers thing. And she was very recognized in her time. She wasn't just an outsider. She was making all of this work, but she was in the Whitechapel Open in 1910, 1915, and very much was like kind of semi-lauded. But she also had this huge, uh, well, a lovely retrospective at William Morris Gallery in Walthamstow recently. And a lot of her work is being reassessed and redeveloped. So 
oh, she's absolutely divine. She did these incredible tapestries as well. Uh, Casimira Domingo. So again, this was also happening on a global scale. So we've got Czechoslovakia, we've got France, we've got Wolfenstow, we've got Belgium. And in Czechoslovakia, um, not Czechoslovakia, this is in Spain and Argentina, this is Casimiro Domingo. This was another artist who was also looking, people were looking at him from the surrealist. So we're very interested in this idea of the automated. Um, Ithel Colquhoun jumps a little bit. She's a really interesting one because she was a British surrealist and she actually left surrealism because she was, A, she was like, this is too macho for me, but also at the same time, she was far more interested in this more esoteric and more um, uh, kind of pretty much more witchy, more witchy approach. So she took everything and she moved down to the bottom of Cornwall and that is where she wrote an incredible amount and also we were making all of these paintings. But this is where like Gaia kind of enters into this because when we're looking at external forces, we're not just looking at this idea that it's just spirits, it's also the spirit of the earth. And I think that's also what is really coming through in a lot of the contemporary practice. This Ithokolhun is amazing. Ithokolhun is also having a huge revival. And I think this is what's really interesting and so many of these artists are being quote unquote rediscovered or reconsidered or reevaluated in now. And we have to look at what is society now saying that makes us think about what's happening a hundred years ago and seeing such incredible parallels. So this is the pink area, which is the historic and quite beautiful. So it kind of like follows through that um, this is why I love doing this where you get to mix things up quite a lot because actually, so we can move on to like Louise Despont. She is an artist who uh, is living in New York. She's only in her mid-twenties and she works between uh, New York and Malaysia. Why is she also going? I can't remember, but she, a very nice life. But she was also creating these works that I feel like they could be, they're out of time. They are something from a previous thing. She's very interested in the, uh, uh, it must be Indonesia. She's very interested in gamelan and the sounds and vibrations. So again, this is also looking at this far more holistic and more open approach to like what actually we are. Are we just a bundle of atoms and is this energy? Are we all just energies? So actually far more, it gets all a bit more woo-woo as we go around into the more contemporary practice. And I mean that in the most positive sense of the word. <laughs> so this is Louise Papon. She is incredible. Please follow her in every single way because her work is sensational. Yeah, so that was from three years ago. And I thought, you can't really differentiate if that's like from 100 years ago or now. So, uh, same with Anne-Liz Lagarde. So we had, um, I should have explained this at the beginning, it's curated by three gentlemen. There's Simon Grant, Lars Bang Larsen and Marco Parsi. And they are, uh, Simon's in the UK, well, he's now in Australia. Uh, Lars is Danish and also, and so is, so is Marco in Danish, but in Holland. And very much, there's a lot of artists in here that like have, uh, are from Scandinavia. And it's also looking at Scandinavia as a place that has strong relationships with the idea of um, uh, spirit forces, wider forces. So, I'll go on to Pia Lindman there, over there in a minute, but she's, as a Finnish artist, she's really interested in Kelvala and this idea, this heroic folk tales and the idea that spirits are very much around us and with us all the time. So they have a very different relationship to this idea of like past, present and future, because it seems to be all in. Um, and Liz Lagarde, she is a Danish artist. This is called Liberty Bells. She's also the artist behind the beautiful Owl's work. But Liberty Bells in particular was looking at 
um, she was going into different museums actually and I think she was then drawing the energies within those spaces. So it's also looking at the interconnectedness of everything but also understanding that you know moving for a space is leaving a trace and this is how these artists are tapping into this idea where they're just drawing on these things. If you want she'll come and do it here. It's quite amazing. You'll find the man with the bow tie. Joanne, the man with the bait, sorry. Uh, Susan Hiller, this is no way a, like a methodology of how to go around the exhibition. You can pretty much read it whichever way you like. Uh, Susan Hiller uh, is an artist who passed away a couple of years ago, but her entire practice has been very interested in the esoteric and this idea of other forces and otherworldliness. And this was from a moment in the 19... 70s actually when she suddenly without knowing just suddenly started channeling words from somewhere else and she didn't know where they came from but this was the so the larger piece is actually the original drawings she felt like she was being possessed and then this was the writing that was coming out of her so this is what I really am interested in and then she revisited them years later and drew them all onto these cards and then did them into these very individual spaces. And she said, like, she never really understood what was really happening, but she was very much, and I don't know if that was also about her as an artist, but she thinks she's very open to something like that. So why was she chosen in this vessel within this, what was happening? That's the Susan Hiller. Ooh, we kind of skip. So the actual sign for this one, this is Emma Talbot. I can't miss it, sorry. This is this giant, the giant volcano of Emma Talbot. And I don't know if anybody has been following Emma Talbot's practice. She's also, she just won the Max Mara um, Prize for Women. I said, I want to say last year, but last year didn't really happen. In the last year, they had a Max Mara Prize Art for Women. And uh, also an incredible artist. Also somebody that was uh, struck by tragedy, which was her partner died. She was widowed. She was left with two young sons. And her practice was absolutely and totally different before the, this event happened. And it allowed her to reconnect. And she's very much interested in this idea that, you know, these are the forces of nature. This, is, this volcanic structure is also coming out. So it's less more that it's channeling. It's more like reconsidering spaces in the world and how that this is thing. And this is... The world is actually called, how is your own death so inconceivable? And I think that is also just ideas that are channeling throughout all of this, all of these works in the exhibition, which is this idea of mortality and what happens next, because we're dealing with these other forces. And I think it's something that has very much been coming to the fore within the last 200 years. Uh, Leo Poussage. Um, these are a recreation of works by Annie Bessant. So Annie Besant was this feminist and she wrote this piece about thought forms, which again was this idea of like this otherworldliness being brought in, this physicality, and these emotions being able to be, you know, like if you did somebody's aura and they'd all have different colours. This was where Annie Besant was coming in. So Leopold Sager is a, another Danish artist, quite a lot of Danes, and very much that she recreated all of the illustrations in Annie Besant's original uh, exhibition and this was created for the Istanbul Biennial but Leo Posadja in general is very interested in this idea of like the revisitation of that practice from a hundred years ago. Uh, I would say Vidya Gestalten, I really love these paintings because they're ever so beautiful and it's like the delicateness of them but it is a sense of uh, she is a French Swiss artist and she lives between Paris and on the borders of Switzerland 
And she finds these old paintings in flea markets. And then what she does is she goes and then she feels the energy within the painting and then she recontextualizes it and brings in these other elements, either ones that she thought were in the paintings originally or that she has like understood that the painting needed to have within it. So she calls them healing paintings because she's gone in and she's really healed the painting with this extra additional material. And she has, um, her entire practice is very much interested in this idea of like the, the forces that are surrounding us and how they're interpreted and how we can open our minds to even more. The lovely Vidya Stalden. I think they're awesome. I really dig these. I really dig everything, really. Um, Pia Lindman. So this is what we get a bit further into the Northern Hemisphere. So she is a Finnish artist and she was based up in, I want to say Tromso, but she's from the Northern and so she's not Sami, but she's very close like into the relationship with the North Pole. And uh, honestly, the relationship to nature there is completely different. It is so symbiotic, it's totally understood. And the Kelvala was the um, oldest folk um, tale within Finland. And it, it was something that was written down maybe 150 years ago, maybe 200 years ago. But it was very much like an oral tradition and this oral folk tradition. And with these paintings, what she does is she does this Kelvala healing massages. Originally, what she proposed is she wanted to do a giant haystack in every gallery and then she would then create a healing space where she would come and do these healing massages, which I was quite up for, but I wasn't up for organic material in a gallery all the time. But, but these are what we actually, so these are some of the drawings that she created while creating these massages. So these are actually the energy traces of the people that she healed through these different healing massages. And this one here, is Lars Bang Larsen's aura. So that is one of our curators and that's his aura. There you go. But yeah, so then we go into this Finnish idea. So very much Northern Hemisphere, it's very much Westernized as the Western idea of what was going on. Ah, oh, thanks, Alan. Uh, Anne Churchill, she's an amazing woman. She lives in Bath. She is from, uh, she's in her 70s. And very much is an example of somebody that was creating a practice. She is a, a mother, she raised a family, but she was always developing and uh, drawing these things. So she went into these meditative states, which is then when she was creating these different drawings. And then she was stitching them all together and finding out what spaces. So they become these really crazy, uh, I feel like they're quite Tolkien-esque. Like you feel like you're on this magical mystery ride into this other valley. But it also is drawing on lots of different iconography. There is Native American iconography. There is all of this, uh, the feathers and the idea of, uh, of the promised land and the other lands. And this is from, this has been stitched together. This says from 2010, but this is like elementally built. So there's bits of uh, Hindi reckoning. It's all different kind of like Eastern mythologies and religions kind of all drawn together. She's a highly mystic person and it's highly wonderful. So this is where, she, this is how she is doing her channeling. And these works, the oval drawing and the hexagonal drawing, they're actually from the 70s, which I find absolutely nuts. So she was pulling these out and doing these in the evenings and then just pop them away and draw. So it's also very much about what she was channeling and what she was like, it makes you sound like she was on acid at the time, but she wasn't. But um, it was very much about this uh, idea of taking on what was out there in nature. Oh, she's, she's a really incredible woman. She would do a great talk if anybody wanted to get her to do a talk. 
this is a bit of a funky area, I won't lie. I really like them together, but they kind of sit kind of in the pink area because they're a bit out of time. And I think they work because they're quite out of time. So this is a double-sided work by Cameron. So if you remember how I was talking about Alistair Crowley earlier, earlier, but he was, uh, you know, the, I said Phelamites? What was Alistair Crowley's religion? Cult religion. But, but Cameron's really interesting because she's actually this woman called Marjorie Cameron. She was the wife of Jack Parsons. And Jack Parsons, they're American. Uh, they lived in LA. They had all these crazy LA parties. Jack Parsons was one of the earliest developers of, um, oh, not space travel, but he was very much instrumental in atomic history and atomic energy and interstellar flight. Not interstellar flight. I haven't done that yet. But he was very much like at the top of his game, engineer. And they were um, Alistair Crowley followers, but in America. So all oh, very much into this sex magic. Um, Jack Parsons sadly blew himself up. And then she just became this goddess within her own kind of cult religion where lots of men came and worshipped at her. And she was creating these drawings from these uh, experimental things. But what I love about this is how all of this stuff kind of like crossed over to the Atlantic and then like warped via capitalism and then came out in this things like Cameron and Jack Parsons. They're quite funky. Uh, Grace Palethorpe was one of the, uh, quote unquote, she's actually a psychoanalyst. She was called by the British Surrealists as one of the greatest Surrealists we've never had. Um, because also a lot of her work was all this interconnectedness of dreams. So she's very much dream analysis but it was when she was coming out of the analytical process and also from her dream process, she was creating these really uh, super trippy, super bonkers uh, works. And previously we had an artist called Jack McDonald. He was a Scottish artist who ended up in Canada because people like Grace Palethorpe as a, as a psychoanalyst was moving around the world a lot. So she was able to infiltrate like lots of different scenes. So she actually was able to purport and spread this idea of dream drawing and all of these different things. So she was really important. She kind of like sits across lots of different geographic and like interesting climbs. Sigma Polka. Um, he's very much also interested in this idea of higher beings and their much spirits. And this is referencing his, um, he was, uh, where did he go? He was, the, these are these uh, drawings that he made at the command of external forces. So this is when he was in Dusseldorf in the 1960s, but it was very much about this idea that there was, uh, it kind of probably relates to this idea there's Machiavellian forces working in the world, but very much these, um, their motifs that also appear again and again in the whole series of works of Sigma Polka. I mean, he's like a highly bonkers artist. Uh, there should be a film on here. But uh, Chiara Fumai is an artist uh, who sadly died in 2017. And she was also very, but like very directly into the idea of um, channeling, but also through other methodologies, through things like Ouija boards. So this was, it's called warning. And a lot of this was automated drawing that she was able to, that she created while in a state of trance, while in a straight, and was related to the Ouija board that she was using at the time. So she was very much, she was, the, her estate is actually called the Church of Fumai. So she was very much almost like represented back into this idea of this cult leader. And everybody that's involved with the Church of Fumai is, is quite culty. And I'm not being a disservice to you, Jerry. So, 
But um, this film is actually about her in this performative state where she is representative of all these different... Um, she is within a Ouija board and then she's bringing up all these different spirits of people that have been mistreated. It's great. Apparently it's a bit rude in places, but it's very good. Um, Noviander and Gaskapura, he was only born in 1979. So this is again looking at how, you know, this is a, a highly westernized and a tip of the iceberg view of what this exhibition could be because we can only do so much. And also it's so uh, uh, expansive and it's like there's so much material out there. You can just go because so much of this is going towards. But he is from Jayapura in Indonesia and very much similar to this idea of the outsider artist, he received a, a vision and a message one day and that was that uh, he just needed to draw. So I think it was on his 21st birthday, he just suddenly became um, obsessed with this idea of drawing. He, saw, he had a vision come to him and from that day, it, he's not had much resource, he hasn't got many as in he hasn't got access to much because he's pretty much half on the streets and half in other like precarious situations. So he draws on whatever he can find and he draws within the sense of this automated, there is um, somebody channeling spirits towards him. And this was all very recent. So this is from 2016. And this is actually like on cardboard that he's just finding in the streets. There's three out in the, three out in the things. There's Alan. <laughs> okay. There's three works out in the lobby. So usually, uh, they're, they're a very interesting thing. There is a vitrine by Susan Traster. Um, Susan Traster was a good friend of Susan Hiller's. She's also very interested. And he's also having a huge career revival. Very interesting woman. But has always been interested in the idea of the esoteric, but also this channeling spirits from... Um, uh, well, she has been trying to be in contact with outer space and extraterrestrial beings for a very long time. But in a way that she uses seances and she wears nuance, and she brings together collections of artists who hold these giant seances, like there's eight of them, who are in the black hole space-time collective. So they held a seance on our behalf and they were contacting a museum that exists in outer space called the Black Hole Space-Time Museum. And while they were in conversation with it, they all did these drawings while in the state of seance trance. And that is what is exhibited in our vitrine out there. And that is something about my goats.